Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, my name is Amanda Love, and I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And I'm super excited to have my next guest. So welcome to the show, Maddie. Thanks for having me on, Amanda. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled. So I want to know, I know your backstory a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, so what was the big thing that like started your journey as a child? Mm, as a child. Okay. That's a, yeah. that's a big question. Okay. So when I was a child, um, I was always, so I grew up in a country town away from the city. I live in the city now, but I grew up in a country town in Australia and I was surrounded by just lots of people that were victims basically. And victims by choice, I mean, and I mean that a lot of people, you know, I was around people that were grumpy all the time or angry or violent. Right. And it was just like, that's who they are. And particularly men. And it's like, oh, you know, leave him. That's the way he is. That's how he deals with things. And for some reason, and I, I don't really know how to explain it, but as an adult looking back, I always kind of was like, why can't he just be better? Or why can't they just be different? Because being angry yeah. and violent and scary seems like a bad idea. Why wouldn't you want to be yeah. happy and, you know, healthy? And so my journey, even well before I got to healthcare, was very much about just trying to better my own situation perpetually and, and yeah. being and learning that I could learn new skills, new ways of thinking, new ways of being, and that it was all just about me just doing some work to change and be different and put myself in a new situation. So I think at the core level, that was the thing that got me started along this path and which then obviously as an adult led me into I became a scientist, I became a nutritionist and moved into this space. And it's that same kind of curiosity, uncovering the truth, being unhappy with it and being like, okay, what can I do to change it? Right. So what was like the turning point when you were in the hospital? Hmm, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. There were lots of epiphanies in the hospital. So yeah, I was pretty excited to get my job in the hospital working as part of a research team. And I was pretty low in the hierarchy of, of the team in the hospital, but I was there for about seven years. And it was, it was about the first six months that I realized something didn't feel right. Um, and I was kind of like, what's going on here? Well, I've never heard anybody talk about the cause of cancer or the cause of disease right. or how we can change that. Um, and at this point, I was still very much like science and medicine is the best thing that humans have ever created. We're so amazing. Look how good we are. Um, and I was, that's why I became a scientist. My mum was a nurse. So I really looked up to the, that medical system as just, and science is the pinnacle of just human intelligence. And so it took six months for me to be like, nobody's ever talked about where the disease came from. And so I started looking around and they didn't really do it in diabetes either. Like they kind of did a little bit in diabetes. They were like, oh, it's because of food, but they didn't really try and fix the food part of the equation. And then, you know, the same with the Alzheimer's and the same with dementia. And, and the, I just kept looking around the hospital and being like, it seems to be a theme. Like nobody is talking about what caused it. And if they are, nobody's going back and, and changing that cause, you know? Mm -hmm. And so from that point, six months in, I just started doing research into sort of the history of Western medicine, the history of science uh, and learning that 
you know, science and medicine, unfortunately, and many people became aware of this in 2020 and 2021, is that science and medicine is a really big business. Uh, in fact, you know, in the trillions of dollars, like the, one of the biggest businesses on the globe, and therefore it holds up the economies of hundreds of countries, lots and lots of countries, right? So it's, it's, very, it's virtually impossible to destabilize in any possible way because it's such an important part of the infrastructure of government and populations and countries and identities and, and employment for families and the way that we feed our kids and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I went on this journey and I was like, whoa, this is a monstrous business uh, that is about selling pharmaceuticals. And this is more uh, like obvious in America. However, in countries like Australia um, and England and Canada and, and lots of other Western, westernized countries, it's just not as obvious, but it's the same. Like uh -huh. we've got different culture in Australia. We have this attitude and every Australian knows this phrase, she be right. Like every Australian, whenever a challenging situation or something goes wrong, we just go, ah, oh, she'll be right. And that just means brush it under the carpet, don't deal with it. If we ignore it, it will go away. Whereas in America, the culture is a lot different is that you get kind of supported for being different and supported for challenging and going after and defending yourself and suing someone because they did the wrong thing. In Australia, you, you're judged for it. You're, you're like, shush, don't, don't mess up the situation. Be quiet. You're bringing, you're bringing attention yeah. over here. Right. Right. So, yeah. So that's, um, so that, but, but when it comes to medicine, it's the same, the same things happening in America, the same things happening in Australia. We just do it in a different way. Um, and so, my biggest issue over the years was that I just started getting angry, going to work and being like, right. you know, most of the people here are sick, they're overweight, uh, and, you know, nobody's going back down the chain of their life events to be like, oh, the diet you've consumed for 30 years caused the situation. Maybe we should get a nutritionist involved and a psychologist to develop new habits and behaviors and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, I'm going to become a nutritionist because these people, these cancer patients actually need a nutritionist and the hospital dietitians are not good examples of that, right? Because they're also operating in the same medical system that doctors yeah. are, which is very limited and highly regulated. And, and when it comes to food and dietitians, they have to put forward the foods that hold up the agricultural industry, which are also, as we know, not very good for health. So, so this was kind of my journey and I get, I get fired up talking about it because I go through the, yeah. go through the process in my head of having these epiphanies. And, and to me, it's just so, so obvious where we can fix most, not all, but most of the yeah. problems. And, and yeah, I just think that, yeah, that all the epiphanies I had in the hospital, I'm never going to change the hospital system, but uh, what I can do is start offering people alternative solutions. And, and that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And that's what you do with your podcast. Yeah, totally. The How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast is quite literally about how to not get sick and die. <laughs> right? I mean, and I've probably listened to like 30 episodes. So That's so, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I was episode 114, but... Uh, yeah, it was yeah, great to I have wanna, you on the show. Yeah, but I want to know, like, mm -hmm. why, why that name, How to Not Get Sick and Die, because... Every time I tell people about your podcast, they love their, your name and they laugh about it. And that is exactly <laughs> why I chose the name because health, like these conversations, when you go to a hospital yeah. or a doctor's office or anything like that, or you've got a pain, most people ex think, oh, I've got to go to the I, doctor or, oh, I've got to go to the physiotherapist or the chiropractor because there's a problem and problems are bad and it's negative. And you can't get well when you're thinking that the solution 
is a negative experience. Like everyone hates going to the dentist, right? It's be, like you can't, you, you put off getting well, you know, and the whole psychology of that. And so how to not get sick and die makes people laugh. And I try and make people laugh because being excited and positive about recovery and your health journey is a massive piece of the puzzle. If you're fearing going to the doctor, if you're fearing going to your nutritionist and being told off because they operate yeah. like it's 1950 and the doctor's, doctor's your parent and you're a naughty child, right. no, everybody's going to feel crappy about it, right? So how to not get sick and die makes people laugh. And that's what I try and do because, you know, it shouldn't be scary. Being a healthy human, we were all genetically designed to be virtually athletic, healthy humans. And it's the life we've lived that has changed that. And so that sounds positive to me. So why don't we embrace that as being a fun, exciting journey to go on? Yeah, and you have some amazing people on that show. Mm. And you're getting closer to like, don't you have like 150 episodes? Um, I think yesterday, you, no, Wednesday was 125. Close. Yeah, but you're getting close. But um, yeah, one of my favorite episodes though was episode 90. It was, do you remember? was that? intermittent fasting and it was a solo episode of yours so yeah yeah yep because you went into like the science and stuff so I thought that was interesting so I want to know what why intermittent fasting Mm, that's a great question so this like this conversation is really pertinent for people in privileged western countries where we have access to lots of food so one of the things that I realized in my hospital journey was that even the World Health Organization, not that I find that organization to be particularly trustworthy, but as the, you know, the global health body in the world, even they say that uh, being overweight or obese is the second biggest precursor to cancer, right? And it's probably the biggest precursor to diabetes and Alzheimer's, which is now referred to as diabetes type three, you know, and, and all of the other illnesses. And so, I, I was like, even the literature says this and cancer hospitals are not dealing with obesity, right? So, uh, and, uh, and dealing with obesity means not just dealing with nutrition, but also dealing with the time of the day that we don't put food into the body. And also, when I say nutrition, I also don't just mean physical food. I mean, the thoughts that we think, that the people, the relationships that we have, this is all nutrition for the mind, body and soul. There's, there's multiple layers of nutrition, right? And so... The, the thing too is that when we're in a world of privilege and we have access to all of this food and all of these calories and all of this fake nutrition, we end up becoming overweight and obese, right? So obviously we're putting too much in, right? And we're not giving the body enough time to burn the stores, burn the storage that we've, we've built up. And being overweight is not a bad thing. Your genetics are actually designed to store body fat because traditionally for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, it was a regular period between feasting and fasting and feasting and fasting. That was totally normal. Whereas now it's just feast 11 times a day for your whole life, right? And of course we end up overweight. So, um, So I found when I did some research was that, yeah, intermittent fasting was super important because it focused on the what happens to the body in the period that we don't introduce any nutrition, food, into the gut. Uh, and that's where we really begin to start 
one, accessing our fat stores, but also a lot of other great things happen. Because most people, if you think about it, if you've gotten up at 7 o'clock and eaten straight away and you don't have dinner till 7 o'clock, basically for your whole life, you've eaten for 12 hours of every day, right? Your gastrointestinal system has been operating and, and doing the job that it needs to do and really doesn't get too much time off to repair and look after itself. So the idea that really struck me was that the intermittent fasting with... If you can stretch out that fasting window each day or even pick a day of the week where maybe you even do like a 20-hour fast or a 24-hour fast is that you, you give your body on a regular basis time to heal, recover, repair and stop being focused on those tasks like putting all of this food into, into storage, into fat stores, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of other elements to that conversation about the type of food we're eating, the quality of the food, the diversity of the micro and macronutrients. But yeah, the, the fasting window I find so fascinating. So much good recovery and repair can happen there. And then you can extend it out to water fasts of 24, 48, 72, you know, 96 hours. But that takes a lot of experience and a lot of great things happen there. But, um, but yeah, I love, I love fasting in the way that it repairs the body. That's interesting. So is it what, like, who should do it? Like everybody or... Is there yeah, a that's a good question. Yeah. Well, the truth is that we actually all do it and have all done it for all of human history every single day. So even though, you know, we feel like, you know, maybe Instagram or YouTube has made intermittent fasting famous in the last few years, the right. truth is it's all it means is a cycle between the time that you eat and the time that you don't eat. That's it. And so even if you're not concentrating on doing intermittent fasting right now, you're still going to go to bed at night and it's likely you'll be asleep for, you know, at least five to six hours minimum. I mean, everybody needs should definitely get a minimum of 7.5 to 9. But, you know, so most people are going to at least be fasting for the time that they're asleep, right? So everyone's doing it every day. The idea of, of, of doing it consciously is that you just move the times around throughout the day. You just And it's not about calorie restriction in many cases. You just move those calories to a different time of the day uh, to give your gut just some recovery time and your repair time and also allow your body to get its energy, not from the sugar that you've just put into the blood, but from right. the fat storage that you've got on your body. So, uh, But the people that could do it is pretty much everyone because we're all doing it, right? However, if, of course, if you're pregnant, it's a bad idea. We want to keep a good steady flow of nutrition going into a pregnant women if you're orthorexic so orthorexic people are people that are like you know there's some plenty yeah. of instagram influencers that are orthorexic which is you know hardcore obsession with being healthy like you're an unhealthy obsession with being healthy right, right. um and also people that are anorexic bulimic you know obviously they shouldn't do anything with a label it's really really damaging whether it be intermittent fasting whether it be keto whether it be whatever they need to work with a psychologist and fix some of that stuff that's going on but most people can benefit from intermittent fasting um i think you know as you get older you want to be focusing on and when i say older i mean elderly like you know 60 and above you want to be focusing on muscle mass so you want to be making sure you're going to the gym because your muscle mass is essentially the organ of longevity and so as we get older we start to waste our muscle away right so if we don't have lots of body fat on us as we get older, I would suggest that most of those people need to intermittent fast in the opposite direction. They actually might need to put more protein in and go to the gym more often. So, But most people 60 and under, even 65 and under will benefit greatly because most people have excessive body fat on their body and on their frame. And so I think most people will benefit from that. But the food that you put in is also really important. Yeah, so what... 
what food do you think people should be putting into their bodies? Well, firstly, I don't think that there's any one diet that suits any, like everyone. Right. Like, you know, um, I, I, generally speaking, I think that most people will benefit from a low carbohydrate diet, at least in the morning, at least in the morning as your first meal. So obviously most of the Western world, Australia, America, Canada, right. uh, virtually cereal, right? They get up and have cereal or it's oats sugar. or some kind of, yeah. yeah, some kind of super high carb, sugar refined nutrient lacking food um, which spikes our insulin and we're off to the races all day chasing this insulin spike up and down up and down tired energized tired energized right so i think at the very least the first meal of the day should be low carb to stay in that sort of low uh low glycogen stores so when you're sleeping, you, you're, you, you burn through the glycogen or the, sorry, the glucose in your blood, and then you start accessing the glycogen that's in storage. And then from there, you move into burning your, your body fat, right? Uh, and so in order to keep that kind of going, you want a low carb meal in the morning so you don't put too much sugar back into the blood. So that's the idea of the low carb morning. I would even argue for lunch, a lot of people experience the 3 p.m. slump because they go and have a focaccia or a sandwich or, you know, some kind of, again, insulin spiking food. So then 3 p.m. slump comes around and they crash from that sugar. The sugar's been all taken out of the blood and then just boom, insulin's gone up and come back down and they're knackered. And that's another, you know, somebody misusing refined sugars and carbs because it's taken us on that ride that I just mentioned. Okay. So I think generally speaking, low carb for breakfast and lunch. And and if if you're doing intermittent fasting and it's working, you might only actually have one meal in the daytime. It might only be late morning or lunchtime might be your first meal. If you're doing that, awesome. Then a low carb option is great too. However, when we come to the evening, I think it's different for men and women because Carbohydrates are so important for the menstrual cycle and hormonal uh, formation and development and management. So I think that's something that a lot of the low-carb and keto community on Instagram and YouTube don't talk about too much. They don't sort of say, you know, that a lot of women end up with amenorrhea, which is their loss of their cycle, the loss of a period because of the lack of carbohydrates and micronutrients uh, that the carbohydrates supply. Uh, that are in the diet. And when I say carbohydrates, I'm talking always talking about whole real food, right? So I'm talking about sweet potato, vegetables, pumpkin, asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower. Like I'm talking about those carbohydrates. Um, But I'm not talking about, you know, breads and and manufactured and refined foods and lollies and chocolates and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, I think carbohydrates are really, really important for, for all people. But uh, particularly women. And I think cutting them out for too long is a risky idea. So I think yeah. the other thing that's important for everybody is to add probiotic foods. So probiotic foods populate the microbiome. Uh, and if you've been on a diet of yeah, sort of sugar, carbs, and lots of bag, a box, or a can type foods, then uh, you're going to have a low diversity of bacteria, fungus, uh, and different things in your microbiome, which means that when you put healthy food in, you might actually be like, I actually feel like crap because you don't have the right microbiome or the right bacteria that will help you digest that food, right? And it might take a little while to populate your stomach. So you want to add probiotic foods. Again, not just a probiotic from the chemist or the pharmacist because they usually like, 
They're usually a handful of species, but they've got billions of them. Whereas if you buy something like a sauerkraut or a kimchi or pickles, then you're about you're you're usually going to get somewhere between 150 to 300 species, right? In this in this healthy, natural, naturally managed environment that the food the food and the bacteria have created in this kind of symbiosis. So. I think, yeah, that's another really important part of the puzzle for energy levels, for gut health, for managing your weight loss as it happens, uh, because there's, you know, there's going to be all sorts of things that pop up along the journey. Yeah. And gut health is so important. Mm, and totally, nobody, talks, totally. nobody talks about gut health and stuff. Mm, yeah, no, it's, to- it's totally true. What do you think uh, with you and your clients and yourself uh, is like the ideal kind of nutrition? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, honestly, I find, I think people need to first see if they are sensitive to gluten. Mm, definitely. Uh, um, I find, I think people don't realize how we're, <laughs> our food's not the same that it was like 150 years ago. And if you're going to go gluten-free, you can't, you have to go gluten-free at least four to six weeks. I find people cheat. <laughs> Yeah. And we don't, we don't realize it one molecule of gluten can stay in our body for up to weeks, up to months. And mm. yeah, I was, um, when I was found my wellness chiropractor and I went to him for eight months, he was like, well, you have a gluten sensitivity. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had, two, <laughs> I was like, okay, what does that even mean? But mm-hmm. and then he's like, well, you have two, your parents gave that to you, both sets of parents. And the highest in your in the practice at the time. So yeah. I was 21 years old. I mean, this was 10 years yeah. ago. It's crazy. And I had a high dairy sensitivity, soy sensitivity, egg sensitivity. I think I think people don't think about your body is going through a lot and you're feeding mm. your body foods that are not good for your body. And mm. gluten might be a start, but it's not the full answer, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you made a really good point that, you know, people think, um, I think it's a lack of education and maybe we can educate them right now, but I mean, when it's you're... A lack of education. <laughs> I mean, I don't know in Australia, but I mean, we have yeah. like one year of nutrition in high school and that was like it. Oh, we have none. There's absolutely <laughs> zero on nutrition really? in high school. Yeah. No, nah, nothing. No, it's like mandatory. You take like half the semester you take is like nutrition and then the other half is like PE. Well, and the other thing to acknowledge about that is kind of like um, it's the same for Western medicine, right? Is that the education bodies are governed by the agricultural industry because they need to, you know, sell food, right? So, and sell their crops. So it's a, it's a big ec- economic nightmare that's going on that's leading to the poor information that we receive. But I think the thing that you were saying is really important for people to understand is that our immune systems are so complex that they can do, they can stay on guard and ready for ages, right? So we can have, one, as you said, you can go four weeks and you're finally your immune system, the part of your immune system that responds to gluten is starting to be like, okay, we haven't seen it in a while. We haven't seen it in a while. It starts going down. And then you just have one little thing, right? Right? Because you, you're like, oh, I haven't done it in four weeks. This will be totally fine. I feel good. Yeah, I feel good. And then, bam, the immune system's back up for another four weeks. And with dairy, it can be six months. Like, right. And, and, and it's your body being def- like defensive. And because you're, you're unfamiliar with your body, 
like being in, a, in actually a non-defensive state, it feels normal to you. You're like, oh, this is how I always feel. But it's not until you get beyond that period and whatever it is for you, it's, a, it's different for everyone. But, you know, say it's six months that you actually start feeling the effects of having those foods out of your diet and being and your immune system actually going back to baseline for the first time, potentially in your whole life. And you're like, whoa, I just feel so calm and I feel I've got good energy. Right. And yeah, I didn't know I could I mean, feel this good. Yeah, I was sick. I was constantly sick all the time. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. like every couple weeks and stuff so and it's like it's amazing when you feel well again and mm. you cut Absolutely. out and dairy's a big one for that like a lot of people remove yeah. dairy and they're like oh i just had this runny nose like for 20 years and it just went away and i used to you know, clear <laughs> yeah. my throat a lot and stuff. yeah I, yeah i was like congested i had like sore throats constantly i'm like yeah exactly and you don't know you don't realize how bad you are until you actually start to feel good again oh and that's such a good way to put it because yeah people have either never felt great or it's been so long that they're like oh you know i don't even remember this is just my life unfortunately yeah it's like we have so much more control than we can imagine right but Mm. we don't we got to take action or if we we don't take action then you are going to hit a wall (laughs) Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were kind of talking about this before we started, but like being better and being different is a lifelong journey. And and it's not just like, oh, I'm going to find some energy to try and try this one idea, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to give up. You've got to commit not not to a medicine, not to a modality or a therapy. You've got to commit to yourself that I'm going to just focus on being a better person every single day. And even if you've got a chronic illness, and of course, there's going to be some days where you want to give up and you're just like, this is really shit. I hate life. You know, right? I'm, you know I'm never going to get well. That, you know, the, the most important thing is that you've got control of is what's between your ears. And if you can change that mindset and the focus and, and tra- change it into a growth mindset uh, about getting 1% or 0.1% better every single day then you're going to move forward in the right direction. But you've got to build, uh, I think imp- it's important to mention that when you want to be someone different, you have to build an image of who you want to be today and tomorrow. I think a lot of people make the mistake of being like, I want to go back to who I was when I was 25. And if you're chasing down the past, <laughs> yeah, right? you're never going to get there, right? Because you're not going to be the person you were in the past. I mean, you can, you can stay the person you were in the past, which is probably not helping you, but right. you've really got to build a new self-image with new rules and new focuses and new priorities on who you want to be today or tomorrow, right? I always say, if it's not today, it's never. Because if, you, if it's tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. It's either today or never. Right. And you probably didn't even like yourself that back when you were like in your twenties, you probably, you probably had something you didn't like about yourself. So you have this crazy image. Like I want, like people are like, well, I want to weigh what I weighed back in my twenties. And it's like, well, when, when you get there, are you going to even be happy with that? I love what you just mentioned because it goes to that kind of holistic happiness, right? It's like yeah. even my my twenty my physical twenty five year old body was great, but my mental health wasn't great, or my self 
like I self identity yeah, wasn't great. Yeah. Whereas now I have a different physical body, but maybe I've got a good relationship and I've dealt with some of my trauma, you know? So there's, there's so many aspects to health that are, you know, far beyond just body image. Right. I find that's, I mean, I had this, when I was, I wouldn't want to go back to my early twenties and stuff. <laughs> I had this, and I think it's, it's funny. We get this whole image of like, well, especially women, we were like, well, I want to weigh this much. And it's like, yeah, you probably didn't like that person. And then you didn't, you probably still thought you had to lose the weight. Mm -hmm. I've worked with clients before. Yeah. yeah. That have been really, really, really unhappy with how they look in the mirror and that most of the work that we did together was, yeah, we worked on nutrition and lost a couple of kilos, but the main thing was how you see yourself and the judgment and rules that you put on yourself. And I've actually got on the whiteboard behind me, there's a quote that I have there that I make sure that I read every day. And it's a Jordan Peterson quote, which is about how you treat yourself. And it's treat yourself like you're someone that you're responsible for taking care of, right? And so if everybody takes that psychology, like imagine even if you don't have children, imagine that you have to look after like a little you like you've had birth, given birth or had a kid or even just remember yourself as like a four-year-old, right? How would you treat that person? When, when things got tough, how would you talk to that person about managing the situation emotionally? Would you tell them to beat themselves up? No, you'd probably be like, all right, what happened? Let's look at the good. Let's look at the bad. What were the lessons? How can we move forward? Whereas the thing we do to ourselves is, like, oh, we're such shit people. I'm so weak. I should have been able to do better. And it's just so unproductive, right? So uh, I think that, yeah, if everybody looks after themselves and talks to themselves like there's someone they're responsible for taking care of, then right. the w whole world will change. I mean, that would be like totally amazing. I mean, mm. you want to talk to your, I have a almost two-year-old niece. You want to talk to a two-year-old that way. So why, yeah, exactly. we, so why do we talk to ourselves that way? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And the thing is that it's a universal thing. Like everyone, it's one of those things that nobody really says out loud, but everybody does it inside their head. So I think, you know, people that are really successful in life or the people that seem to have it all figured out, they've committed to doing the work inside their own head and changing the narrative and changing the story. And, you know, like, cause when things are good, it's life's pretty easy, right? It's like, yes, this is amazing. This is great. It's right. when things are not good that you really need to be skilled in navigating your own mind. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, if you're not going back, taking control of mm -hmm. your mindset, then what's the, you're not going to move along in life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a challenging thing. Like, don't get me wrong. You know, we're just kind of casually talking about okay. it, but it's, it's hard work. Um, and, you know, it's like, and I always think about it like this, like life's a struggle anyway. It's, it's hard to be healthy, you know, because you miss out on all of the things that you feel like you're missing out on. And it's hard to be, you know, overweight and, and ill and sick, right? So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you've got to choose which hard or which struggle that you want to navigate because, Life's going to throw struggles and challenges at you anyway. Right. So you might as well be healthy. Then yeah. you, you yeah. can choose your hard. Choose your hard face. Then that way, at least you could face the challenges that come your way. 100%. Yeah. You're in control of the narrative. Yeah. And you're not playing the victim. As yes. I always yes. say, I think, I think um, a lot of times we play, people who are sick, they play the victim and mm -hmm. 
and don't take control of, and you're getting something from that, maybe sympathy from family and friends, and, and you're not, and you sort of hide, you sort of hide behind that illness. Yeah, I think you're so right with that. And I think it's tough because I think our generation and the people that have sort of, you know, listened to podcasts and are on Instagram and YouTube a lot, I think we're really lucky because we've got access to kind of the first real worldwide conversation on mental health and feelings and boundaries and trauma. And before this generation, even my parents' generation, my parents are only what, in their early fifties, I've got pretty young parents there, you know, that was never a conversation. Right. And so, you know, it's, we're really lucky to be able to have access to this information. And that's why the journey of personal development is hard because once you know, you can't unknow. You can't unknow what yeah. was traumatizing about your life. Yeah. You can't unknow when you see, because then you start seeing other people and you're like, oh, my mum does this to my dad because it makes him do this. Or my mum does this to me because I react this way. And you start seeing all the moving parts of the world. And it's like, whoa, yeah. this is full on. So we have to also love ourselves and love everybody else before us because they were doing the best they could. And we are the lucky generation that has access to be able to change our mindset. You know what I mean? Like so many people were able to do it before. There's lots of books that are hundreds of years old by entrepreneurs and people in lucky situations to be like, it's all about the mindset, you know, like think and grow rich is a classic book. It's over about a hundred years old and it's the same idea. It's choosing what goes on in your mind in order to manifest your reality. And so um, I think, yeah, we're, we're in a very lucky situation to be able to make these choices, but our parents were raised by parents, which were, which were raised by parents right. where the victim narrative was normal because <laughs> you, you got yeah. to self pity. Like you said, you get love from somebody. And now in 2020 being the victim might mean that you can tell yourself, Oh, it's okay to go and get a tub of ice cream because that makes you feel better. Or, you know, you go and get that love from a food that's so damaging for your biology. Like that's not helping you, right? Right. Um, Or chocolate or pizza or McDonald's or whatever it is. And we've, instead of getting that love from a family member or getting a hug or talking it through, which would be, you know, the emotionally mature option. Right. Which we go and punish ourselves. Yeah. And I think, I think with our parents, they did the best that they could. Yes, they did. Absolutely. Right? Because, and, and we're lucky to have access to the information that they did not have access, access to. Yeah. And if, like you said, we have to forgive our parents for whatever trauma they had us mm. go through, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise we hold resentment uh, in our mind and maybe hatred and anger and all of these bitter emotions. And those bitter emotions relate to hormones in the body, cortisol, and means you're stressed all the time, which can then manifest very easily. High cortisol causes, you know, lots of belly fat to accumulate, causes lots of poor sleep, causes all, it's related to all sorts of chronic diseases. So, you know, there's these negative emotions that you hold in your brain they actually correspond to, um, you know, hormonal profiles that are not healthy for you. Yeah. And that's probably why I was so sick for so long. I had a lot of trauma mm. in my, mm-hmm. and I, had a divor- I had parents who were divorced when I was six years old. So mm. yeah, yeah, there's definitely probably something there for sure. Right. I find, I think my, um, uh, when my dad remarried and stuff, I was, I was so traumatized and I didn't want to go over to that house. 
I was sick every other week from seven to 14 until we moved to Arizona. So it's interesting. It's a, I, that's what, what, like when you talk about trauma a lot, I'm like, Oh that, yeah, it's really up my alley because I find we don't talk about trauma. Mm, you're right. Um, well, it's a very hard thing to talk about for, yeah. you know, for men, for women, for everybody. Like it's, you know, it's a challenging thing because there's a lot of, uh, instability that comes with talking about it and and I think the way that humans naturally and evolutionarily conduct themselves is to always make sure like in our unconscious brain we're always making sure that in our environment we're safe and secure and that, you know if there's something suspicious going on we're ready to fight essentially like we're still animals right we mm-hmm. we just think we're not anymore because we've got these amazing brains but we're still animals that are want safety security and essentially love right and so we're always scanning the environment but when we bring emotions like that up we risk those stable things being unstable like there's it's this is not a safe place this is not secure i'm vulnerable i'm exposed and so you know you can have these conversations and people get super angry and they throw stuff or they walk out of the room it's why some people are so bad with conflict with their partner and it ends up in a raging mess because when you've created a raging mess you have created it you're in control right because sitting down and talking through the pain and potentially being wrong is so like you're so exposed like that's so scary and dangerous and that's why it's like men are like if i just make myself big and angry and strong i'm i'm in control right i can't nobody can change this situation you know and and women do the same thing um you know as well They, they you know react in certain ways or run away you know and men and women both do the same things in different scenarios um but yeah i think that it's that vulnerability that risks destabilizing your safety and security. And so nobody talks about their trauma because it's super scary. (laughs) But I think you have to, if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, you have to do it and all your other relationships, you have to do it too. I think with what we were talking about before about people changing their self narrative, if I would suggest something for everybody to add into their self narrative and I'm, I've been working on this for many years myself is the, that your new self narrative and identity is that, is that you are someone that is eager to admit that you're wrong. Right. And that to so many people like, Oh no, 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 no. I couldn't, you know, and that was me for a long time. And it even comes up inside me when I'm in a situation, I can feel my defenses kind of being like, find a way to be right. But I'm trying to rewrite the story of how I function in relationships with friends, you know, with colleagues, professionals, like everything and being like and taking it from a place of curiosity. And I think if everybody could admit they were wrong, oh, life would be so good. Right. (laughs) Uh, We don't want to admit we're wrong. Well, and I struggle too. (laughs) Well, I actually, I'm on what I'm actually the type who would probably say, I'm, I don't like arguments. (laughs) So I say, sorry first, even though I probably shouldn't say it, that person should Mm. say it. See, And that's another strategy to keep out, get ourselves back to safety really quick. Right. Right. But I mean, I think we have to set up these boundaries Mm -hmm. in life. And if certain people aren't bringing joy or whatever we have to set that boundary even if they're a family member yeah and that's really hard that's really hard yeah you're right you're right it is really hard because people again and this is about people's belief systems is that 
you know, we have to be really loyal to family and family is everything. Yeah. And if family hurts more than they help, that they are not, that's not, you know, that's not the definition of family. Family is an idea, right? You can pick your family, right? I, I've got friends and I've got really close friends that I would consider family, you know, like I would ring them before I rang my actual family in situations, you know? So yeah. you know, family is just a concept and an idea. And if we're talking about emotions and trauma and damaging and hurtful relationships, you know, it's a choice. And I know that's hard to hear. People might be like, oh, it's easy for you to say I've got kids or it's easy for you to say, or I couldn't possibly do that. Like, but you know, it's up to you to better your life. And if, if that's part of that story, it's some, as, as we've talked about, trauma is hard work. Trauma is hard work. Yeah. And if the person's not giving you anything, then it's sort of like, mm -hmm. sort of that sort of like you're, it's sort of a choice you have to make. Yeah, you're right. And I think there's a good, there's a saying that I really like, and it's, um, uh, if somebody shows you who they, they are, believe them. Because a lot of people go back to partners or go back to family members right. and they're like, oh, you know, things will be different this time and, and whatever. And yeah. it's like, if they show you who they are, believe yeah. them. You know what I mean? It's, it's not about what they say when you're, they're trying to make everybody safe and secure again after the fight or you oh, as well. Like if right? you're displaying particular behaviors, believe what is happening because it's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's. People need to, you, they have to show you that they care. Mm, exactly. And the same goes there. If they're honest and genuine and safe and mature and they're behaving that way, believe them. Right. I mean, yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing is honesty goes a long way, mm. but yeah. you have to show people have to show that they care about you. And especially if you deal with like a health condition, you really find out who the real people in your life are. Mm -hmm. mm, absolutely. Yeah. And you, and it, it shows as well when you've got health challenges where other people in your life are at on their own journey, because some people, you know, have got so much of their own stuff going on or they don't have the capacity to take on other people's stuff, which says to me, it's like, you need to do work so that you can be a reliable support for the people in your environment. Right. So right. You know, some people, some people just disappear as soon as things get hard. Right. Because and, and which says a lot about them as people. It's like, are they strong people? Do they have lots of their own problems going on? And then there's the, the confusing questions like, should I expect them to be helpful? You know, or, or shouldn't I? And, and, and you should be able to have conversations about that. But that relies on everybody doing their work. Yeah. And I think you find out what who matters, I think, then once mm -hmm. you get, start to get better. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, those people were there for me and mm -hmm. I'm going to be there for them if they have yeah. a health issue. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, I wouldn't have gone through my health journey well, my grandmother taking me to all the different doctor's appointments and my mom. So, yeah, well, they're right? legends. Right? I mean, and then, my, like, my dad wasn't part of the picture. So mm -hmm. that's sort of like, that's just how it is. But mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is you got to have that support group that we were talking about. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Um, yeah, and make sure that they're people that, you know, help you more than they harm you because it's just going to add to your health problem if you're surrounded by people that are toxic. 
right? It just stresses you out and then your immune system mm. goes and everything goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there was research study done on um, relationships by Vanessa Van Edwards. Um, mm-hmm. She owns a company called The Science of People. Um, but the, I'm pretty sure it was her company. But she talks about this study a lot where they, I think it was the New York Police Department, where they re, like did this research on all the partners and, and they figured out which people actually didn't like each other and which people were unsure. And they found that relationships where people knew they didn't like each other were actually better for you than ambivalent relationships where you're not sure where you stand with someone. And I know I've got, I've had friends and and partners in the past where when they're not with their friends, they're complaining about their friends. So, and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm not sure if I go to the, go to this party, you know, this, this person might think this and then I I might think that. And that's what an ambivalent relationship is because you don't know where you stand and you can't be your true self. And so they found in this research study that if you had a toxic relationship where you were like, okay, I don't like you, you don't like me, but let's just do our job. Right. That was healthier because everybody knew where they stood. They knew where they were safe and secure and where the boundary was. But with your friends and relationships and family members that you have ambivalent and uncertainty and you're like, oh, I'm not sure where I stand and what they think of me and should I go to this event or should... That is way more destructive to your health than actual, you know, a proper boundary, whether it's healthy or whether it's toxic. Yeah, that's that's interesting because you're talking about boundaries and I, I there was a book, I don't know, and it's all about like setting good boundaries in your life mm-hmm. that I read a yeah. couple years ago. What did you yeah. learn? <laughs> well, what did I learn? Yes. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, so um, yeah, my sister, I had to set that boundary for a while, for like a year and a half because it was because she wasn't like, she didn't care about my life or anything. So I didn't talk to her for a year. I know it's hard. Honestly, it's hard not to talk to your sister for that long, but then, and she, um, I'm only two years older. Right. But, um, Mm -hmm. so I think, but eventually like she got pregnant and now, and so that relation slowly building up. Right. But Mm -hmm. it takes time. It's hard to set a boundary of, well, you're not being supportive. You're just, um, there was an incident and stuff where she came up and she sort of ignored me and, and it was just this big thing. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, it's life. You've got to set that boundary. <laughs> Even if yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And I'm like the most forgiving person ever. And I want to fix, I want to fix it. But the other thing to remember when setting boundaries for people listening is that you've got to be ready that the person you're trying to set a boundary with has probably never had anybody try and set a boundary. And so they might react in a very dangerous way. Right. Yeah. She, she didn't, she didn't get it. Yeah, of course. Right. Right. But it's a journey yeah it is it's it's definitely a journey and you've got to be ready to stick to your boundaries and i think that's the important thing is that know where your boundaries start and end and be clear because certainty is so important for our health for our relationships uh to to deal with our stuff to move forward that if you're ambivalent and uncertain you're just going to be stuck in kind of no man's land right (laughs) so you need to um you need to be certain and be ready you've got to be ready to it's like my uncle told me my uncle's a salesman 
uh, mm-hmm. for BMW. He's been doing it for a very long time and he's very successful. And he said to me a long time ago that no matter what deal you walk into, even if you go on a first date or you, you know, you ask someone to marry you or you buy a car or a house or you, you know, whatever it is, a hundred percent of the time you have to be prepared to lose and to walk away with nothing. And he's like, you know, so you can't, the point is that you can't expect other people to behave in the way that you want them to. Yeah. Um, It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard to be like, you know, I want something, but I've got to. And that person's not going to live up to that expectation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you've got to be ready to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything else you would like to share? Um. What else? I don't know. We've had a good conversation. It's been an interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just had an organic conversation which was really cool um no i don't think so i think yeah like if people want to check out my podcast they can how to not get sick and die that'd be cool um but um and you know social media i'm everywhere at maddie lansdown on instagram linkedin and i've got a facebook group too but um as for this conversation i think it's been this has been great i think a lot of people have a lot to work on after this like they've probably (laughs) probably had yeah, probably had a lot of light bulbs go off and be like, whoa, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, I'll put, I'll put that all in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amanda. I, I love how this conversation just naturally evolved. <laughs> right? It was really, really cool. Yeah, and um, Matt, and you guys don't know this, but Matt's actually going to interview me for my 100th episode <laughs> when it comes out. So, But you'll hear the reason. Epic. Yeah, it's going to be epic, and you're, you'll hear the reason why I picked Maddie on that episode. I'm not going <laughs> to spill the secret. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. So thank you again. You're more than welcome. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. I, I love that I could share this conversation and that other people get to listen to it. <laughs>